Hey, uh, Matthew 13, open your Bibles up. If you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the seat in front of you, um, unless you are the Welches or the Thurmans, and then you just gotta pull something else out, I guess. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, we're gonna read um, verses 53 through 58. And so on those, uh, in those Bibles that are in the seats, it's page 819. 819, and my brother Chris is going to read that. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for another Sunday morning uh, to appear before you. I ask now you'd give us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, I pray your spirit would be with Thomas as he teaches this morning, Father, and I ask that your people would respond in faith. We love you. We're thankful for your son and his death for us. Amen. 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 Thank you. Hey, you can be seated. Thank you for standing as we read God's word together. Um, I said it a second ago, but I just can't help but say it again. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I love, 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 love that, that last song that we sang together, um, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. There's some good, good Christmas truths in there, but biblical truths um, that we should really, really believe and lean into, right? There's some good things proclaimed in that song, things like uh, Jesus, born to set thy people free, right? Or a born to reign in us forever, born a child and yet a king. What a great song, right? What a wonderful declaration of, of not just a Christmas story, but the biblical and gospel truth that we believe um, as believers. We, we put our full faith in that. Um, hey, this is just, uh, this is a great time of year um, celebrating the birth of Christ, Christ coming with a great purpose. If you remember at the beginning of our study in Matthew, um, which, by the way, this is kind of in the study of Matthew that we've been doing, but it's also Advent, so we're just kind of on hybrid mode right now. So just get ready, um, and we'll drive our Teslas around. I guess Teslas aren't really hybrids, are they? Just thought about that. No, whatever a hybrid is, we're in hybrid mode right now. Um, so we're, we're in Matthew, but we're also in our Advent uh, series. So um, this is, if you remember at the beginning of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, talks about how Jesus, the baby, um, came but he came with a, a great purpose, right? He came to save his people from their sins. That's what the angel told uh, Mary and Joseph, that this baby would come and save his people from their sins. That's a glorious truth that we put our faith in, right? That a baby came to do this, and that baby wasn't just any old baby, but it was actually God incarnate, right? That this baby wasn't just in a manger and, and just, you know, a figure that we see in a nativity, you know, there's, there's something to the familiarity of that. Pastor Nathan spoke last week about how sometimes 
things can become familiar to us um, and so familiar that it starts to become stale. But it's our hope and it's our prayer that our hearts don't grow stale towards the gospel as we are leaning into the Christmas season, that even though we've heard these stories over and over again, that, that God would make the familiar fresh to us um, because it's nothing that should grow stale in our hearts, right? It's something that we, that we believe as truth, that Christ was born to save sinners. He was born to save us, amen? Hey, we don't, we don't just celebrate a Jesus in a nativity scene, right? You know those nativity scenes, and, and I'm not knocking nativity scenes, I love nativity scenes, we have them in our house, you know, you see them all over the place, but you, see, you know, you see this nativity with, with baby Jesus and, and shepherds, right? You know what I'm talking about? This, you know, just kind of basic scene, you know, sometimes there's a couple wise men come two, you know, two years too early to the scene um, because they actually didn't come um, whenever he was right, right when he was born and they came later, but they're there in the nativity, you know, um, and you know, the occasional little drummer boy will show up into the scene as well. Um, that's not biblical, I don't think, either, right? That's not in the Bible. Um, but it's a fun story. You know, we get these pictures that we see, uh, but, but if we're not careful, we'll fall prey to this familiarity. Um, but church, we don't, we don't worship and celebrate a nativity, right? We don't worship this familiar thing. We don't worship and celebrate a picture or idea that's been edited or altered um, by ourselves or others over the years. We celebrate and worship Jesus the Son of God, God in the flesh, okay? Really hear me here. God in the flesh, we worship Emmanuel, who came from heaven down to us. Jesus, as we've read um, this morning already and, and heard last week, Jesus in John 1.14, who came in flesh and blood and dwelt among his people. The Messiah, this is the Messiah that generations waited for expectantly and eagerly. This is the one we celebrate and worship. Not a plastic figurine, not a commercial, but a real life God who came to live in flesh and God incarnate here to dwell with us. This is the baby. This is the God that we celebrate and worship, right? The Messiah that was waited for expectantly is also what the same Messiah that we read in John chapter one, verses nine through 13. Right before it talks about God becoming flesh. What does it say there that uh, in that same chapter that God came into the world and to his own people, right? God came, I mean, he's, he's the one that came to us. We didn't come to him, he came to us. But the world, it says, the world did not know him. The world did not know him and his people did not receive him. And that's, I hope that's not the, the downer message we get today, but that's kind of the, where we're landing in this text that we're in today. Even though they were eagerly watching and waiting, they rejected him. And so here at the end of Matthew 13, we see this actually played out when Jesus has come to his people and now specifically to his hometown of Nazareth. Okay, you with me? Christ came, Christ came to his people, and so this is where he's at, to his people, but specifically back to his hometown in Nazareth. And this text gives us a couple wonderful descriptions of how Jesus, Emmanuel, came to his people. Take a look at the text with me here. 
Matthew chapter 13, we'll start in verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? So let's think about that for a second, how Jesus came to these people. Jesus came one, they recognized this, that Jesus came with wisdom in his teaching, with words of wisdom. He came bringing truth to them. He came explaining scripture in ways that they had never heard it before. Hey, remember um, in the, at the end of the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew, um, how at the very end of all this, all this time of preaching to these people, it says at the very end of there that people were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes did. This was a different way of teaching, not one that just came to read something or try to explain it, but one that actually taught with the authority of God to them. This is the kind of teaching that Jesus had. He taught in a way that didn't just teach for understanding, but in a way that questioned people's lives, their motives, how they viewed each other and how they saw who God is. This is how Jesus taught. His teachings made people uncomfortable. Maybe it makes us uncomfortable sometimes, right? His teachings make people uncomfortable because it actually disrupts the familiarity that we want to lean into and really trust. This is the wisdom, though. Have you ever known somebody who, who actually um, taught you with, with great wisdom, maybe a, a, an older grandparent um, or a mentor? Or maybe when we read through, through Proverbs, you see um, the wisdom displayed there, and it's, it's, the, it's the type of teaching that you want to believe because you know that it's not just for um, you doing better, but it's actually for the changing and, and betterment of your life. Or maybe, you know, uh, uh, maybe, maybe whenever you see... Um, how Jesus taught, it was with a much greater degree because his authority and wisdom was from the very mouth of God. So he came with wisdom, with words of great wisdom. But more than that, he came with mighty works. They actually acknowledged his mighty works here in Matthew 13. Throughout the gospel accounts, while Jesus is teaching and going from town to town, he's doing miracles He's changing people's lives. He's healing people. He's raising the dead. He's feeding multitudes, calming storms, casting out demons. And despite what the religious leaders thought was true, he was actually forgiving people's sins. He had great compassion for those whom he came to. You know, all of his teaching and his, and his mighty works were being done with the proclamation that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that they could actually come to God the Father through him. Coming down from his throne, Emmanuel, he brought good news to them. He brought great news that the Messiah is here. Emmanuel has come to you. Good news that can actually change your life. And we, you know, when we read that, what should we do, church? What should we do? Uh, when we read and hear that, the, that in the word, it should actually cause our hearts to react in worship, Right? When we, when we read how God changes lives, how the words of wisdom and his great works are actually those for salvation, that should cause our hearts to worship. Even though we may have heard them a hundred times, the glorious truth of God coming to us when we were most undeserving so that we can know him and trust in his son for eternal life should never grow stale to us. Should never grow stale. We believe 
his words and works. That's part of who we are is we are people who actually believe this. We remember and we, pro- we proclaim them as truth and the greatest gift we could ever receive. Praise God that he came to us, amen? He came to us. And you know, the people here in Nazareth, the people here in his hometown would have heard these words of wisdom. They would have heard about these great works that he's doing and they responded in belief and worship of him as their Messiah, right? No, are you paying attention right here? Actually, no. Sadly, that wasn't the case, was it? How their hearts should have responded in worship was actually the complete opposite of what they did. In fact, believing and worshiping had no part of their response. Instead, what did they do? Did you catch it? They started questioning everything about who he is. So while God came to them and proclaimed this good news, their response isn't in worship, but instead it's questioning Jesus. They questioned Jesus. Now, not that there's anything wrong, okay, with asking questions, right? There's nothing wrong about asking questions to Jesus. It's true that people who are, who are actually seeking to know God ask many good questions, questions in, in trying to understand who he is. Hey, we see this in, in kids all the time, right? Hey, if you walk down to this classroom right down here where our kids are, um, where they're being taught biblical and gospel truths every week, okay, you're gonna hear asked great questions. Hey, what, what, why did Jesus do that? You know, what, what, he stole this boy's you know, you know, fish and bread. Well, you know, why did he do that? And he didn't actually steal his fish and bread. The boy gave it to him. Um, but they ask good questions, you know, thought-provoking questions. You know, like, you know, where does God live? You know, why did Jesus come here? There's a lot of really, really good questions, and it's all for their purpose of trying to understand what does this actually mean? Who is Jesus? Who is God? And, and, and let me tell you this, if your faith's weak, you should go down there because when you actually tell them the truth, they believe it because it is truth. Has that childlike faith, right? Believing God because he is who he says he is. You know, most people really seeking to know more about Jesus and the truth will inevitably ask questions about him. Nicodemus is a great example of that, right? A guy who was seeking to know more, to understand and he came to Jesus asking questions. What does this mean? How can this actually happen? He wanted to know the truth. And he went to the source of the truth, seeking truth. But I think what we see right here um, in this case, in Matthew 13, and many times during Jesus' min- ministry, are not really questions in search of finding out more about the Son of God so that they can believe. That's not really what's happening here, I don't think. They aren't necessarily seeking to believe God in his son. Rather, they have an idea about truth, about God, about themselves that they are believing already. Take a look, uh, take a look at some of these questions that they asked um, in Matthew 13. Um, first of all, they questioned his source of wisdom and mighty works. They, 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 again, they acknowledge that Jesus is doing these things, but when they start to question, hey, where did this man get all of these things. No doubt he's doing great things. No doubt he's saying great things. They sound good, but where is he getting them? Where's he getting them? Instead of believing the actual wisdom being given, because it was strange that a man, um, and even more so this man specifically, could have such great wisdom about the scriptures. What, what, What did he mean by all this? 
And what, what did he mean when he was explaining the f- f- fulfillment of it? Uh, there's different accounts of this. We don't know, necessarily know. Um, in Mark, it looks pretty similar to what's going on. Um, in Luke, it seems a little bit different. Um, but if you read in these different accounts, Jesus, when he's speaking to people, and, and in Nazareth, he's saying these things as he is the fulfillment of prophecy, that I'm the one that's come. Come to me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's teaching these kind of things. And they're wondering, how is he actually able to interpret the scripture as him being the fulfillment of it? There's great questions here. Where is he actually getting this? Hey, they, they, they question his source, um, but they also question his status and his upbringing. They question his status and his upbringing. upbringing. Hey, they, did, did you see that they pointed out, hey, this, this guy's dad, he's, he's, he's Joseph, the, the carpenter. You know, no one of high status. He makes things with his hands. He's not well-learned, probably. Um, this, is, this is Joseph's son. You know, that's, that's where he came from. Oh, and Mary. Hey, yeah, we, we all know Mary. You know, we can make speculations of what they thought about Mary, but at least they pointed out, like, this is the son of a woman. This is the son of a woman that we all know. Oh, and hey, by, by the way, we all know his brothers. All of his brothers are here. We know his brothers. We can, we can point them out by name. Oh, and you know, his sisters are here. His sisters never left town. They're here with us right now. This is a normal man. Where in the world could he have gotten this? Why in the world should we believe him? He's just a normal guy. Even more so, a lowly guy of low social status, of low upbringing. We know his family. We know his story. You know, for some reason they thought that a man teaching in this way and doing these great works must have some kind of better social status, right? And better upbringing in order for him to be credible and legitimate. And they must not have read what you know Isaiah 53 said. In fact, let's turn over to Isaiah 53 real quick. If you got those uh, Bibles from the seats, it's on page 613. Isaiah 53. Isaiah is a prophet um, from long before the time of Jesus that actually foretold a lot of the things and prophecy of how the Messiah would come. And this is some of what he has to say in Isaiah 53. We're gonna start in verse, uh, verse one of chapter 53. And we'll read a few verses here. He says this, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Remember, this is prophecy about Jesus, okay? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He was despised and rejected by man, by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Hey, church, if he's talking about the Messiah in this way, Jesus fits what he's talking about. And so these people who are making claims about where did he get this great teaching, he's a man of no status, he's a man of no stature, he comes from nothing. He's like a root from dry ground. They didn't actually say that, but kind of matches up, right? Who has believed what he has heard from us? No one did. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Even his mighty works aren't being believed upon as the Messiah. 
And in fact, because of all these things, he's despised and he's rejected. Jesus actually fits this mold. And if these people actually looked back and were trying to understand, were trying to actually seek truth and what the Messiah was going to look like, they had it right here from the prophet and they completely missed it. This is exactly what the prophet said he would look like, how he would be treated and that his words and works would not be accepted. They could have believed what God had said through the prophet. Instead, they took everything they knew about the man, Jesus, and they basically put him on trial and asked if he matched up with whatever idea they had had of God already created in their minds and in their hearts. They held him up to that. Now, let me say this, okay? However honorable some may think it sounds to say, if they were to say, I'm just searching for truth before I believe. I just wanna know the truth before I believe on Jesus. You know, I'm just, I'm looking around for the truth. Hey, if that's the case, if you're holding Jesus up to any kind of standard of truth or ideas besides the word of God and what Jesus actually says about himself, you will not believe. You can't take an absolute truth and hold it up to five different other interpretations of truth and try to make sense of it. It's madness. Does that make sense? So instead of actually going to the source of truth, we try to look for truth somewhere else and see if Jesus actually matches up with that truth. When God is making the bold claim and the claim that we should believe that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, that he is God incarnate. All prophecy was fulfilled in him, but instead they had some kind of thing built up in their mind and their hearts of what Jesus or what the Messiah was supposed to look like, and it would always cause disbelief. Have you ever, have you ever heard the old saying, if you go looking for trouble, you'll find it? You know that saying? If you go looking for trouble, you're, you're gonna find it. Hey, the, the same can probably be said of doubt. If you go looking for doubt about Jesus, it's not gonna, not gonna be hard to find you will find things to believe in besides Jesus if you want to believe something or someone other than Jesus. Questioning Jesus in this way will only feed doubt and unbelief. It will not actually seek out truth when you start holding him up to other truths or other interpretations or ideas of what you think truth is. Church, Jesus is the truth. <laughs> That's what we proclaim and believe, right? That Jesus is the truth. You know, this, this may be why, even after asking their questions, Jesus doesn't really answer their questions, does he? Uh, our brother Mark Steinle, um, I, don't think, I don't know if Mark's here today, uh, he pointed that out in our, in our sermon court this past week. You know, this is a question that, these, these questions are being asked that Jesus never really actually answers for them. Not, not directly, at least not what we're given here in scripture, but it, he does give an answer. He does say something here. This may be why he says this, um, that a prophet is accepted everywhere except in his hometown. Um, because before, before he came to them, they had already decided in their hearts and in their minds that they thought, um, what was new, what, that they thought they knew about Jesus was true. They thought, we know Jesus, and we know God. We know the man, and we know the deity. These are the things that they thought 
that they knew, and they didn't really know either one of them. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he'd been questioned like this about who he was, why he said what he said, why he did what he did. And he was asked to show signs proving himself like we just read um, about, these, about these men coming up to him, you know, show us a sign. And Jesus says, the only sign you're gonna get is the sign of Jonah. He's being asked to prove himself over and over again, asked to do all these things. And if it didn't match up with whatever construct or image they had created in their hearts and their minds, and they completely dismissed Jesus and his claim of being God incarnate. If, they didn't, if he didn't match up with whatever idea I already have about God, then Jesus, you're wrong. Jesus, if you don't actually fit the mold that I see of God, then there's no way I can believe you instead of actually believing God himself. And those who questioned away his wisdom and works when they held him up to their self-made mold of God and he didn't fit, they completely and utterly rejected him. And that's where we kind of land at the end of this passage with rejection. You know, some would say that's fine. You know, I, I don't mind rejecting Jesus. Seriously, a lot of people would say that. I don't mind rejecting Jesus. I have no problem rejecting him as God. You know, he had great things to say. You might hear people say that. You know, Jesus had some great truths to say, and I'll, I'll listen to some of them. Great, great, you know, great things like other religious or, or theological people would say. He had some good things to say. Um, he may have even done some of the incredible things that, that he said or other people said that he did. Uh, but, but even though I don't believe Jesus is God, even though I don't agree with everything Jesus says about himself, um, or maybe what he says about me and sin, you know, if I don't agree with all that, listen, I still agree and I believe that God still accepts me, even though I reject Jesus, even though I reject not, not everything he says, but a lot of what he says. And if I don't believe everything he did, hey, I, I still believe that God accepts and loves me. You know, anybody who believes that or you've heard that, that I don't need Jesus, but I believe God still loves and accepts me even though I don't believe all these things. That seems like it might be the mantra of our culture, right? Much of our culture. God accepts me as I am, even if I don't believe everything he says. There's a massive, a massive misunderstanding in leading away from the truth of the gospel if we begin chopping up what Jesus and the word of God says, only believing what is convenient and what doesn't disrupt our beloved ways of life. A massive, massive misunderstanding of what the gospel actually says if we start doing this. It's interesting that if you look at other religions and beliefs that claim the worship of God, right? Even those who claim good theology of God, even those who claim good theology of, of who we would say is the Lord Yahweh, this God, they believe in him. The hang-up is always an unbelief in the person of Jesus being God. You can look at almost any other religion, and if they believe in God, their hangup is almost always gonna be the fact that Jesus is God incarnate, that Jesus himself is God. Hey, if someone comes knocking at your door, someone comes knocking at your door and they say, hey, hey, let me just tell you about what I believe, and, and by the way, I think we, all, we believe the same thing. And they start telling you all the things that they believe and you start saying the things that you believe and they say, yeah, 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 we're on the same page, we're on the same page. What do you think about Jesus? 
oh, you know, Jesus is this, and he's, I believe he could be the son of God, or, you know, I, I, I believe he was a real man, and, hey, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Well, no, but, you know, that's just a minor discrepancy here that we have. That's our minor discrepancy that I don't really believe that Jesus is God. It's okay if you do, but we still believe in the same God, same theology, same stuff like that. Can I tell you something? That is not a minor discrepancy between us and the world and anybody else who believes anything about God. Can I tell you why that's a major discrepancy for us? It is a major, major discrepancy because they actually don't believe the same theology. They don't actually worship the same God or serve the same God that we do. Please hear what I'm about to say very clearly, church. When you take the man, Jesus, and reject his deity, here's how we, here's how we have a major discrepancy with others. When you take the man, Jesus, and reject his deity and authority as such, you reject God himself. When you reject Jesus and his deity and his authority, you reject God himself. You cannot serve God and forget Jesus. It doesn't work. It's not the same God. Maybe you're worshiping some other deity or figure. It's not the God we serve. This is a major discrepancy, and believing him to be God incarnate will not put us to shame, church. It will not put us to shame, but but those who reject him will miss him completely. Hey, turn over to 1 Peter with me. Um, I'm gonna read this together. 1 Peter chapter two. 1 Peter chapter two, verses four through eight that we're gonna read here. This is Peter talking about Jesus here. Starting in verse four of chapter two. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God throughout Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This is the truth for all who reject Jesus. He becomes for them a stumbling for believing God, a stumbling stone, a stumbling rock, that they can't actually believe God if they don't put their faith in Christ alone. You can't belong to God as one of his own without faith in the deity and the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. Because the scripture tells us, as Peter is actually um, quoting from Isaiah and from the the book of Psalms. He is the cornerstone of the spiritual house of God and the kingdom of God. And all who reject him will stumble. You can't believe God without believing Jesus. 
So when Jesus doesn't meet the criteria or image that someone might have created in their own, in their own image or in their own mind or what they've accepted from somewhere else, he will become what we see in Matthew 13, a rock of offense. Did you notice that, that they were actually offended by Jesus? They were offended by him. They admitted this guy is bringing wisdom. He's doing great works. But because they didn't, couldn't believe him, they were actually offended by him. This isn't because he's some kind of inconsiderate jerk. You know, Jesus wasn't an inconsiderate jerk that isn't able to think before he speaks like I am most of the time. Um, because I can speak, right, Courtney? I can speak without thinking a lot of the time. That's not Jesus. He's not, he's not inconsiderate. He's not a jerk in what he's saying, trying to offend people. He's not inconsiderate of feelings or something like that. No, no, no. The compassionate, loving kindness of Jesus doesn't offend in that way. But if we try and reconcile the absolute truth about God and our sin with whatever truth we've created, we try to reconcile these two things. When those two things just don't match up, the truth of the gospel does become offensive because it doesn't agree with whatever I want to believe. That's offensive, right? And it should be. It should be offensive. It should be very expensive, offensive, not expensive, offensive. And at that point, there's a decision that has to be made. Will I follow whatever dream whatever figure I've made up of God. That's the choice. Will I follow, follow these or will I believe what Jesus says about himself? Will I follow what my heart wants for myself? You know, as deceitful and bound up in sin as it is, the scripture says. Or will I follow Jesus, God incarnate, who is sinless, full of grace and truth? That's the decision. You know, the result that we see at the end of, of Matthew 13 um, of their unbelief is, is sad, but a just and true reality. It's the reality for all who don't put their trust in Jesus and actually reject him. It says, it says here that, they did, that he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You know, I think Matthew's making a point of, he's not making, or he's not healing people. He's not doing some of these great mighty things that he's done in other places. Um, he's talking about physical healing and stuff like that. But the, but the truth of rejecting God actually carries this weight as well. That for those who will not put their faith in Jesus, even though he's come to them and desires that all would be saved, as 1 Timothy 2.4 says, that they will not receive the mighty works of God, namely salvation by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. It just won't happen. If your faith's not in Jesus, salvation is absent. For some, the idea of becoming flesh is a hard pill to swallow, right? Of God becoming flesh. That's a hard pill to swallow. For others, hearing the words of Jesus and fully accepting every one of them as words from God himself are, is, is just is hard to believe. But church, we as, as the children of God, the church, confess what the Father has revealed. It's what Peter confessed in Matthew chapter 16, you know, when Jesus comes to his disciples and says, who, who do people say that I am? Some say that you're the prophet. Some say you're this. Some say you're this person. And Jesus looks at them and says, but who, who do you say that I am? 
And what Peter confesses here is great, right? He looks at Jesus and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, hey, flesh and blood have not shown these things to you, but God himself, God the Father, has revealed this to you. Church, this is what we confess, that Christ is the son of God. Christ is God incarnate. And while this is somewhat of a, of a heavy passage to sit in, I don't know why I ended up with this one. Next week, Kevin gets to preach receiving Christ. That's gonna be good. Come back and hear that. But we can't miss this part that there will be those who do reject Christ. But for us, the church, as believers, we confess this daily. Not as, a, not as a thing we have to say, but we boldly proclaim it. We boldly confess these things knowing that it is for our good, knowing that it is the truth of believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to save sinners, sinners like us. And he did. And we rejoice in that. So if you would stand, I'd love for us to confess one more thing together. In, in 1 Timothy 3.16, if you wanna to turn to 1 Timothy 3.16, we're gonna have it on the screens here today. Because this is a hard thing to believe, we confess that. Um, this is one of those things um, that is hard to believe, and we will confess it together uh, today. This is scripture, 1 Timothy 3.16. Can we read this together, and then we'll close out in prayer. Ready? Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Amen. Father, we believe that. As your people, we fully believe that and proclaim it confessing that it is sometimes a hard thing to believe, but we know the truth. We know the truth. We know the source of truth. We know who truth is, and it is your son, Jesus. And so, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you came to us. We thank you that you, Father, have revealed the truth to us. And Spirit, we thank you that you are still revealing the truth of your scripture to us even today, unchanging but always alive and active. So would you pierce our hearts? Would you continue to convict us of our sin, knowing that it has been paid for by Christ and his blood? We rejoice in that today. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself to those who do not believe. Father, to those who have heard the truth, that they wouldn't try to compare it to some other source that they believe is true or go looking for other truth, but they would lean into the truth that you are God. And there is no other way to the Father except through you. So we believe that, we proclaim it, and we pray for others to believe it as well. It's in your name that we pray, amen. <laughs>